Welcome to Committee on Global Thought podcast, brought to you by the Committee on Global Thought at Columbia University. CGT, Committee on Global Thought as we call it, crosses disciplinary and national borders to address the challenges and realities of our world today. Before I introduce Kian, let me just say I'm Vishaka Desai, Vice Chair of Committee on Global Thought and Senior Advisor for Global Affairs to the University President. Welcome, Kian. Kian Tajbak, she's Professor of Urban Planning and Urban Studies at Columbia University and is Senior Program Manager at Columbia Global Centers and Development. Most importantly for us, Kian is also the Fellow of Committee on Global Thought. So welcome, Kian, to our podcast. Um, Kian Tajbaksh was profiled in the New York Review of Books this summer. This feature tells the story of how Kian's work at the Open Society Institute in Iran led to his interrogation and imprisonment in Iran. And it also tracks his subsequent trial and place in the negotiations of the U.S.-Iranian nuclear deal. Kian, you have a very special life and a story to tell. I know that you're working on a memoir. Tell us a little bit about why you decided, as an academic, to actually work on a personal memoir and how you went about coming to that conclusion. Well, Vishaka, first of all, let me thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. I'm very pleased to be part of CGT and sharing my experiences. Um, As you mentioned in the introduction, I ended up over the last 20 years having a very dramatic set of experiences, which uh, which was unexpected for me and is typically unusual for an academic. Um, I... Uh, I was an academic in the early, in the late nine, 1990s. Um, and after in, receiving your doctorate at yes, Columbia. Yes, after I got my PhD at Columbia in 1993, um, I was teaching at a New York, uh, at the New School in New York. Uh, but when in 1997, the reform movement in Iran uh, burst on the scene, and uh, really presented itself as the most broad-ranging and most um, significant reform movement in the, in the Islamic world, uh, and it happened to be the country of my birth, it was a perfect opportunity for me to try to go back and explore the relationship to my country of my birth. Now, that's important because my primary uh, motivation for going back to Iran was personal. It was to reconnect with old family, It was also to um, explore my roots. Uh, That's a very cliched, but a very authentic, uh, I think, sentiment. Uh, I uh, had always enjoyed living in the East. I had actually spent a number of years in India, uh, and I wanted to explore Iran. And I went back to Iran uh, primarily, as I say, to um, uh, explore personal uh, dimensions. And how long had you been away by this time? I hadn't been in Iran for 20 years. So, at all? At all. Okay. Uh, I hadn't been in Iran uh, for two decades. 
And uh, so when I went back, I um, first of all, I enjoyed the experience of going back to Iran in those days. Uh, but soon I uh, found that there were um, uh, changes happening in the political and the social sphere that interested me and that uh, related to my academic specialization, which was the study of local democracy and local government. Um, and I decided then to combine my personal interest in uh, exploring Iran more with uh, doing research on this vast experiment that Iran was um, embarking on, which was to create elected local uh, uh, councils in all the villages and cities of the country in 1999. Um, now, this is a long story, right, right. but uh, this is what meant, uh, uh, this is what led me to go back to Iran and uh, just to, uh, you know, uh, highlight the way both the personal and the professional uh, interacted, I met my current wife. I, we married and we decided to settle. And, uh, and I uh, began working with a group of activists, researchers, academics, and reform politicians um, uh, around these exciting new right. institutional development. I should tell you that I also went to Iran right after Khatami came to power, precisely for the same reason when I was at the Asian Society. So that idea of hope that new things are happening was really felt all around the world at the time. Yes, that's so right. True. Well, what I, and now to fast forward a little bit about why uh, the memoir is because after a few years, um, I uh, decided to uh, work as the representative of the Open Society Institute in Iran. Uh, that's the Soros Foundation. Okay. Um, it was a risky undertaking, but it aligned with my values and uh, what, I, what I saw as the possibilities in Iran for a greater openness. Um, uh, but ultimately, um, this crossed a red line for the governmental system in, inside Iran. And um, I was arrested uh, uh, twice, in fact. Uh, in and at that point, there's a new regime. That's right. Well, there was a new, there was a new, go uh, new presidential go yeah. government, but the system itself, right. uh, the Iranians uh, 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 refer to it as the Nizam, right. or the system, right. or um, uh, sometimes in the West it's called a regime. The political system as a whole uh, would not tolerate the kind of um, international work that I was engaged in. Um, I was arrested and held from 2009 uh, uh, for a year in prison. Um, uh, five or six of those were in solitary confinement. Um, the New York Review of Books article that I wrote um, details the experience I had with reading and how it saved me and kept me sane. Um, I was held under house arrest uh, um, between 2010 and 2016 when I was released uh, as, as one of the five Iranian-Americans that were negotiated by the Obama administration as part of the Iran nuclear deal. Um, so you can see, by uh, having come back into to the States in 2016, 
I thought there's a lot of experiences primarily for me to work through, for me to understand. Um, and uh, But also lessons, I think, that uh, my experience holds for others and hence thinking through both an academic book, trying to make sense of the, um, the academic research that I was doing, uh, but also the memoir th that highlights the personal and the geopolitical. Well, you know, actually, since this is the Committee on Global Thought podcast, I wanted to ask you, you know, one might say, what has personal got to do with global? Why those two and how do they intersect? And in my own experience, I've always said that, in fact, often personal becomes professional and vice versa for many of us who are trans from one place to another, ideas and living experiences. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how do you think of your personal journey in a broader geopolitical context and its relevance for that? Uh, you know, Vishaka, I think that, um, you know, there's one, uh, there's one fault line which loomed very large in uh, <clears throat> my experience being interrogated and on being on trial. And, uh, and that is the binary contrast that the Iranian uh, uh, system imposes between the West and what they see as the Islamic system in Iran. Uh, that is to say, that is a narrative which is dominant in Iran. And I had to think about where I fitted in. So it's so the, so the personal was my um, experience and my desire to be able to live uh, in multiple places. Let's say both being American, both being Iranian, and my my I grew up in the UK, and so a European experience. Um, I was looking for a way, obviously, to put these pieces together to make sense for myself. And yet that was not a framework that seemed to fit in what in the Iranian um, political system's worldview and philosophy. It is a revolutionary state. In other words, it's very passionate about its values. And so I came, I found myself, in a sense, uh, unexpectedly between two tectonic plates. And of course, I found myself in that position in a very dramatic way. Most people have, you know, get to kind of uh, think about this as they walk down the street and or travel from one place to another. I did it in the interrogation room of a solid, of Evin prison, and for months and months and months, under very serious circumstances, I was accused of treason. I was uh, I was uh, initially, um, uh, um, you know. Uh, uh, giving capital punishment was going to be the, the highest sentence that I was, uh, uh, that was imposed on me. So I, you know, so it was a real crucible of thinking about where I am. So the personal for me um, really was a kind of shock. You know, where the personal and the geopolitical interacted was, was the shock that the world was not as I imagined it, or certainly the Iran was not as I imagined it, and the Middle East as I imagined it. Um, and that I had to rethink, and that I was forced to rethink almost all my fundamental categories of how I understood myself, how I understood the world, and how I understood societies around me. 
Well, I think that very question of trying to put pieces together, the multiplicity of your life, and you tried to do that in Iran, it didn't seem like it was possible because the binary that's set up by the political system and the religious order. It seems to me that one of the questions in this kind of global world that we live in is to ask, where is it possible to be able to live with multiplicity in our lives, which for many people, you immigrants, uh, refugees, people who can't just live where they were, but they have to make a new life, or people like ourselves, myself too, although I didn't have a dramatic life like, like what happened to you. But it seems to me that one of the questions is that there are few places where multiplicity is possible. U.S. happens to be one of them. Do you feel that given where we are today in the United States and in the world, are we moving away from those possibilities of multiplicity? Okay, I think I should answer this in, 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 in two ways. I mean, I think what I hear in your question is a question about the United States as a society. And, but there's another dimension, which is United States' relationship with the world and with other countries in the world. Um, you know, I, uh, I have discovered in my life, I've been very privileged, I think, and to discover two very different concepts of pluralism. One is a Western pluralism, which I discovered in the, in the UK and the US, uh, essentially a kind of Western legal understanding of pluralism. But I was also uh, understood a very philosophical concept of pluralism in India, uh, which, which accepts a kind of, you know, uh, the world is plural. And I think both of these systems are um, committed to pluralism, but, but they have different sort of ways of going about it. So in terms of being able to live with uh, multiplicity and in pluralism, I mean, you asked specifically about the U.S. I mean, I think the U.S. still is, is I mean, despite what's going on, I think, um, you know, it is compared to most places in the world, it is open to very uh, plural uh, um, uh, peoples and ethnic groups and religions. Um, I I am worried, like many people, about the kinds of rhetoric and the kinds of um, uh, intolerance that is being shown in some politi uh, political leadership, and I think that's not good, and I think it should be corrected. Um, uh, but I think that is, um, that's a sign that the world was, was maybe never as hospitable to the Western model of pluralism as the West thought. In other words, the West itself seems to be saying, well, um, if you don't accept our, our vision of a sort of globalized uh, world, on, on Western terms, of course, on U.S. Uh, um, Led terms, term, yeah. yes. I mean, I, and I wouldn't say imposed. I right. would say, uh, but led. Um, uh, if if the world is not going to accept that, then the U.S. itself will react, and there'll be a reaction in terms of bolstering a sense of national 
identity. So I think that, you know, in terms of the pluralism of the world, and, and incidentally, I mean, I, I, I see worrying signs in India also mm-hmm. uh, about that. And these are the two big poles in the world uh, of a form of pluralism. They both have contributions to make, and they both, I think, need a great um, care uh, so that they don't go away. Um, yes. So I must um, ask you the last question, and that is that clearly you are a very popular teacher with our students in CGT master's program. Uh, If you might just briefly mention how you bring the personal and the professional in your global governance class. Yes, I I love teaching this class. I love teaching this class. for a number of reasons. First of all, the students are great, uh, but it very also very diverse, very diverse, and it. Gi- but uh, I like this particular class because it gives me an opportunity to think through, at a high analytical level. Um, I can do that because the students are willing to think through, um, uh, at uh, quite a level of depth. Um, it allows me to think through the dilemmas and the paradoxes that I am dealing with in my memoir and in my academic work. And uh, so I think the class feels, does realize that I speak about, uh, uh, we we discuss competing models of world order. Now that's not very dry, Um, uh, or at least I try not to make it dry. I mean, let let me tell you what I always have in my mind when I think about something which may sound academic and dry. I'm sitting in an interrogator's chair in Evin prison for hours and hours. And the interrogator, who often was civil, he was confronting me. He said, we do not accept your vision of world order or we don't accept the vision of world order that the, the Open Society Institute represents. There was the, there was the competing paradigm. The personal, and your life is at stake. My life was at stake. Um, now, that's a complicated thing we don't have time to talk about now, about how I related to those particular values. But I, tell you, I, I can tell you in short, what I took away from that was that the that I became much more impressed by the incongruity of different worldviews. I no longer am very confident that there could be a convergence internationally, the idea of a kind of universal, um, you know, either on the liberal side or on other side, that there is a kind of universal um, set of norms or values that could effectively Um, you know, um, permeate the world. I think there are very strong alternative universes. And, um, you know, there are three ways I frame this uh, uh, for uh, in in my class. And I ask, and we think through this question, what is the best frame to think about differences across the world? Is it multipolarity? Is it binary between let's say, liberalism or autocracy or democracies and authoritarianism? Or is it parallel universes? And I think the one thing that I try to, the sort of the, uh, my personal 
lesson that I bring now to an analytical level is the idea of taking seriously parallel universes. Notwithstanding all the interdependencies, um, I want to think through these different frames. And that's what I, uh, that's why I enjoy teaching this class. So that's a perfect place to recognize that nothing personal can only remain personal, especially when it comes to academic like you. Thank you very much, Kian. Thank you, Vishaka.